Welcome to the Unbranded Podcast with Miss Dean Loves You, where we have interesting conversations with interesting people and learn about unconventional ways to live our best lives. I'm your host, Susie Dean. I'm a former teacher, mother in her MILF era, and wife. I have the incredible experience now of exploring topics and ways of living that I've always been curious about. The conversations on this pod are always relaxed, authentic, and might just teach you a thing or two. I promise that every episode will leave you with a deeper sense of self and understanding for those who are different from you. So get comfy cozy, grab a drink of your choice, and let's have some fun together. On the pod today is a dear friend of mine and former co-worker, Camille Wafters. Camille is a powerhouse. She and her husband have such a dope partnership. She's the mother of two, one of which is on the way, and she's a very talented blogger and has been for years and years. Camille is here today as a vital voice and advocate for infertility. She has bravely faced the challenges of infertility head on, delving deep into the world of medical advancements and her own body in her quest to conceive her daughter, daughter Ariadne, and now her son on the way. Camille will not only share her personal story, but she'll also equip us with essential knowledge about infertility, her experiences with PCOS, and how to provide support to friends who may be going through similar struggles. Additionally, she will empower you to be your own advocate if you suspect that infertility might touch your life as well. This episode is packed with information that all women should regularly be exposed to, and she shares the raw emotions that she and her family experienced during this process. Without further ado, welcome to the Unbranded Podcast, Camille. Well, would you feel comfortable like introducing yourself? Sure. Um, so my name is Camille Lofters. I was a high school English and journalism teacher for 15 years, which I thought was going to be like the career I was in until I retired, but I left a year ago and I now am a photo, I'm a photo manager and representative for a school photography company. We're a small business. Um, it's a whole different ballgame because I'm also learning to be like a business person, which is not something I knew how to do before. Um, but I love my job because it incorporates a lot of my skills as a teacher. I still get to work with like students and schools and other teachers. So that's been really cool. Um, I am a mom. I have a two-year-old daughter. Well, she turns two next week and I'm also 20 weeks pregnant. (laughs) So, um, I think becoming a mom, especially one who went through infertility has definitely impacted who I am as a person. And I am now just such a big, I try to be a big voice for, you know, women who are also struggling with fertility issues and just like birth in general and being an advocate for people who might be going through similar journeys. So, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I know that you've spoken about this um, before, but it's, it, I, I, we don't, we don't learn about our own fertility for so long. And also, the infertility journey, which I don't know personally, but I've heard from you is so it can be so lonely because people don't talk about it. And there can be so much shame around it because it's not spoken about. Can you speak on any of those experiences that you've had? I think you're absolutely right. Like, I don't know about you, but like when I was in 
probably middle school, early high school, you know, you get those talks from your teacher that's like, this is how babies are made. And if you look at a boy, you're going to get pregnant. And then you have like all this fear of like, oh my gosh, you know? And then it's like, when you actually look at just a normal couple, let's pretend like nobody has any fertility issues. There's actually like a very small percentage of getting pregnant each month when you think about it. I mean, it's, Mm -hmm. it's not huge. It's like 20 to 30%. Mm -hmm. So then when you add fertility issues onto that, I think it just becomes so much more difficult. And then, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, no one, maybe you tell your close friends and family you're trying to have a baby. People don't really like, it's not like you announce it to the world, like, hey, I'm trying to have a baby. You know, you kind of just, you start trying and it's usually a conversation with you and your partner. And then when it's not working, at least for me as someone who does blog and shares things publicly, I didn't really know like how much I was comfortable with sharing with that because it's also so emotional, you know? And it's like, if I'm going through fertility treatments and I'm dealing with these ups and downs and, you know, one month, you know, it's okay, we're so hopeful and then our hopes are dashed. I don't know how comfortable I am sharing that, you know, with the world, those emotions are so raw. So I think it's Mm -hmm. a bit of like, a double-edged sword because I do think we need to share more about infertility because it is much more common than people realize. Um, but at the same time, it's hard when you're going through it to like want to to have, a, I guess, like a lens on, you know, people watching what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, you're, you're like me a little bit and we like believe in these vibes and I just didn't want like people throwing out people who don't really like me were like oh "Oh, well good for her she's not (laughs) getting pregnant oh yeah yeah I totally get it so um yeah I mean it's it's I try now like yeah now that I've you know gone through the infertility like after I had my daughter you know then I try to share a lot about my journey and once I was pregnant and that kind of thing And, and I think I've done the same thing now that I'm pregnant with my son you know, I didn't share while we were going through it, but as soon as we reached, you know, the end of the first trimester and I was comfortable with sharing, then I would go back and kind of try to be a voice. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's hard to find that balance, I guess. Yeah. And I think that's completely valid though, because I, it's difficult to explain your emotions and what you're going through in the moment because you haven't completely processed them yet and they haven't Mm -hmm. integrated into your experience. Um, And so I I feel like almost it wouldn't be fair to speak out. It it might not be as helpful to speak out of that raw place because it's like not a solidified experience yet. So I really appreciate the fact that once you've gone through it and you've actually had a lot of time to process what that whole journey with Ari was like, and now you're sharing what that was like and being an advocate for people and normalizing this experience and taking the shame away from it, I think that's really valuable. And I validate the fact that it is a fine line to walk because there also can be value in raw conversations in the moment, Mm -hmm. but you also have to protect your heart. And when you, if if you were to decide to have those raw conversations in the moment, then you're also opening up yourself to potential unwanted and unwarranted feedback that could like affect you in a state that you should not be dealing with that in, you know? Yeah. I I think, and people are quick to say things like, 
oh, we'll just try this. Or maybe if you stop trying, you'll get pregnant. And it's like, I share a lot of my infertility journey, but there are things that I don't share. (laughs) So it's like very unhelpful when people say things like that, because I'm like, you don't know everything. I am choosing what I'm sharing. This is social media. Mm -hmm. Like I am going to protect things that are private. And um, it's not helpful to say those things to someone who's trying so hard to get pregnant because, I mean, don't you think I'm trying everything I've thought of? That's what I was going to say. I'm I'm consulting the best, you know, doctors and um, also like holistic, like I did acupuncture, you know, things like that. Um, You know, I'm, I'm doing everything possible. So when someone, you know, makes a comment like that, it can just feel like, it's just feel it comes across as being very insensitive and mm-hmm. you know people like to say well you know I'm, i don't i mean well and i'm like yeah but you know impact over intent <laughs> it's right just, right it, it doesn't and help it's important to like i've tried to get into the practice of calling people out when they yeah. when they do stuff like that and it can be uncomfortable not in a mean way but being able to say for example a lot of a lot of time in my church with older people mm-hmm. before Robbie and I got pregnant so when's the baby coming are you trying and like i was fresh out of a miscarriage you know yep. so like you never know what situation someone's coming through or going through and so i have gotten into a place where i've been like actually we just like we just lost our 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 first our first pregnancy and yeah it sound it like sounds harsh and you don't want to be in that space but it's an eye-opening experience for people who may not make those comments in the future yeah. and that can be really helpful for them and the people who would have received that otherwise i think I think calling people out, I mean, again, not in like a super mean way, but right. just being honest, I think is is important when I was still teaching after I had my daughter, then, mm-hmm. you know, the comments were like, oh, you can't have just one, you know, when are you going to have the next one? And I just started being really honest with people. I was like, you know, it's not easy for me to get pregnant. It takes yeah. a lot of time and energy and money. And we have to consider all of those things before we decide whether or not we're having another child, you know, and. And then people would kind of stop and look at me. And then, you know, sometimes they'd ask follow-up questions. Sometimes they would just be quiet. But mm-hmm. it, it was a way, I think, like you said, to educate without being, you know, I'm not being rude. I'm just sharing the truth. It's the truth yeah. of what happened. So, And regardless of how they act in or respond in the moment, you're at least planting those seeds so that maybe yeah. later in the day or the week or when that situation comes up with a friend of theirs, they recall that interaction with you. And it's, it, it actually makes sense and integrates with them. So let's um, rewind, though, because yes. I have a distinct memory of bef- around the time when you started getting trying to get pregnant. I was, we were on the same team, Ace General Paper. With yeah, my co- go Ace General Paper. <laughs> <laughs> with my co-teacher, Mr. W. Yeah. And... I don't remember the context of the conversation, but we were talking about babies and I think you might've been 30 or 31 and you were like, Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm just now feeling responsible and mature enough to have a baby. Maybe we were talking about people having babies really young. So from that space and from that memory that I have, can you track us through your journey with with the birth of Ari and the conception of Ari. Sure. So I, my husband and I met when I was 28. So, I mean, 
it's not like that's incredibly old, but you know, it's like later than maybe other people meet. And so we just definitely, when we were dating, I said to him, um, I always knew he would probably be a good dad. That was evident really early on. But I said to him, you know, I'm not quite sure, 100% sure yet if I want to have kids or I can Mm -hmm. have kids. Mm -hmm. So if you, if that's something that's like super important to you that you have to have, um, you know, it's okay, but like, we might not make it. <laughs> like it might not, be, um, I might not be the person for you. And I appreciate he was just that. Like, and yeah, and he was just like, no, 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 like you're enough. Like, we'll see what happens. You know, he's like, but no pressure. Um, you know, if, if we have kids, that would be wonderful. If we, if you decide that you don't want them, it's okay. And so, um, so then moving from there kind of to the space where, where that you were just talking about, I think, you know, once we were married, it just became more evident that I think like he was meant to be a dad. And I started talking to other coworkers. There's actually, um, I don't want to put her name out on the podcast, but there's another, and I, I, she was pregnant at the time. And I said like, how did you decide, you know, that you were um, ready to have a baby? And she goes, you know, I, I felt like I would regret not having a baby more than I would regret. I would never regret having a baby, but I might regret not. And that really stuck with me because I said, you know, I kind of feel that way too. Um, I think I want to try this. And I know that no matter what, I will take care of the baby. I will love the baby. I will do the best I can. I just don't know how much I'm going to like it and enjoy it. And I, you know, I feared like not super enjoying motherhood. And so that was definitely like something I wrestled with. So then of course, irony is that then we try, we try, we start trying to get pregnant. Uh, summer of 2019, we were okay. on a little European vacation. <laughs> we went to uh, Spain, France, and Italy. And um, my doctor had told me, you know, try for six months because at that point, I think I was 33, if I'm remembering the timeline. Um, she's like, try it for six months and then, you know, uh, come talk to me if, if it's not happened by then. So, that's what we did. We tried for six months. Um, and then there had been kind of a suspicion that I had PCOS. Can you no go ahead? Give us a definition of PCOS for those that might not. Yes. So polycystic ovarian syndrome is a very misleading name because it sounds like you have like cysts or something, and that's what I always thought it was. But it's actually a metabolic syndrome where your body is kind of out of whack hormonally. Um, it can be very similar to having diabetes in some ways. Like I have insulin resistant PCOS, so I don't have diabetes and I didn't have gestational diabetes either, but my body doesn't react very well to processing like sugars and things like that. Um, also a lot of the hormones that you need to get pregnant, like your F, you know, FSH levels and things like that can be off. There's a lot of inflammation in my body. Um, for me, a lot of the symptoms that manifest are like um, hair growth, like in weird, you know, places like excess hair growth, um, just the not being able to like lose weight, um, not in a in an unhealthy way. I just mean like, you know, like a normal, like eating normal healthy foods and, and like your weight just like be doing weird things, um, almost like you have a thyroid issue or something like that, but it's mm-hmm. not that. Um, and so there was just like a lot of strange symptoms. The other thing with PCOS is that essentially, you know, each month you develop like eggs, right? Like your, mm-hmm. the eggs are supposed to develop in your ovaries. So what happens when you have PCOS is too many of them come out. So it's like, instead of having 
um, follicles that become big enough to get fertilized, mine have like, like it looks like a little bushel of grapes, like just tons of little follicles, but none of them are getting big enough to actually be like to to get implanted and to actually become Mm -hmm. a baby. Mm -hmm. So part of um, the getting pregnant process then is to give you, you know, uh, medication that stimulates the follicle growth so that you can actually get, you know, two or three follicles that will grow to the size that you need them to be. And then a trigger shot that will allow them to release at the right time so that they can be fertilized. (laughs) So if that makes sense. Yes. So it's kind of like you're doing, instead of doing a natural ovulation, they're like assisting. Yes. And then because my wonderful husband Dane has, you know, no issues with, with him, it was then at that point easy to just get his sample and inseminate me and I Are you ready for a therapy experience that will knock your socks off? Introducing BetterHelp, the online therapy platform that's revolutionizing the way we connect with therapists. Let me tell you, I found my own therapist and she is an absolute queen. Her name is Regina and she's completely transformed my life. Gone are the days of expensive and inconvenient therapy sessions. With BetterHelp, you can access affordable and convenient therapy from the comfort of your own home. Trust me, I've been there. My last therapist was amazing, but the cost was through the roof. With BetterHelp, I found the perfect fit, and it won't break the bank. Now let me tell you why I'm obsessed with Queen Regina. Every session is like a journey of self-discovery. She challenges my thoughts, she digs deep, and she uncovers those hidden issues that I never knew existed. It's like a mind-reading magician unraveling the mysteries of my own psyche. But it's not just about uncovering the deep stuff. It's about growth. With Regina by my side, I just know I'm on the cusp of something incredible. A second spiritual awakening, a transformation that will rock my world. And Regina is there right in the middle of it all, catalyzing my journey like no one else could. BetterHelp gives you access to a vast network of licensed therapists, each with their own unique specialties. So whether you're seeking help for anxiety, depression, or relationship issues, you'll find the perfect therapist who truly gets you. And here's the best part. If you don't vibe with your therapist, no worries. You can easily switch without any penalties or awkward conversations. Queen Regina is my second therapist with BetterHelp. BetterHelp understands that finding the right fit is crucial for your mental well-being. So are you ready to find your very own Queen Regina? Don't miss out on this life-changing opportunity. Visit the link in the show notes to start your journey with a licensed therapist from BetterHelp today. Remember, your mental health deserves the best. And with BetterHelp, you're just one click away from a transformative therapy experience. Start your journey now and unlock the incredible potential within you. Visit the link in the show notes and let the magic begin with BetterHelp. So we had tried for six months and then we went to just my regular OB. They have um, a reproductive endocrinologist that works with their practice. And so she started treating me at first um, just with like the medication part, Mm -hmm. not like actually treating the PCOS, but just giving me the medication to grow the follicles and to stimulate the ovulation just to see if that would help on its own. And we did 
I want to say three or four cycles of that. Okay. Wasn't helping. <laughs> I wasn't well, getting pregnant. You say, when you and say so cycles, do you mean three or four months where you would have sex during your ovulation? Mm-hmm. And then, okay. Yeah. So three or four months where we were, yeah, we were doing it ourselves at home, but I was taking mm-hmm. the medication right. to stimulate the growth of my follicle and to stimulate, you know, the trigger shot, all of mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. But we were still doing everything else at home and there wasn't any like meal plan or any other things happening. And so then after we did three or four months of that, she said, you know, I think you would really benefit from a fertility clinic because I think your PCOS is not really being treated and that's preventing these drugs from actually working. Um, So at that point I did seek out, um, you know, going to a fertility clinic. The first one I went to was horrible. (laughs) Um, So my reproductive endocrinologist at my OB's office had recommended this other doctor at IVFMD. And I was like, okay, let me try to make an appointment with her. Oddly enough, she wasn't available, but she had someone else available, which is just serendipitous because I fell in love with my doctor. I fell in love with Dr. Grickwitz. Um, she started doing all my fertility testing. That took several months to complete. Um, it's oh it's a gosh. lot. It's expensive. It's You go through a lot of tests. They have to you know, test your fallopian tubes. They have to test your uterus. They have to do genetic testing. They test all your hormones and everything. It's really a lot. Um But the good news is that once you do all of that, most people are able to get a clear picture of what's going on. Of course, there are cases where there's unexplained infertility, um, but my issues were pretty obvious, I think. And so then the first step towards treatment was sending me to, um, what are they? I forget what Marta's official title is, Dr. Marta. She's, uh, I guess, a reproductive nutritionist. Okay. They call her, they call her something else. I don't know what her official title is, but she's essentially the meal plan uh, supplementation person. She's fantastic. Uh, She's great. She explains very clearly like what's going on with your particular hormone levels. And she gives you meal plans, you know, by week. And what I really loved about it is at no point was it about losing weight. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's really important, especially for me. I come from a dance background, eating disorder is around in my family. And it was really important to me that that wasn't like the focus. I will say it was a byproduct. Like if you're going on a specific meal plan, so, yeah, it's going to happen. Like I was eating mostly lean protein and vegetables. Um And that really helped. It was kind of just as a sidebar, a little crazy because then on social media, people are like, oh my God, you lost 20 pounds. Please share your meal plan. plan. Like, I want to know what you did. And I'm like, I am not going to share my meal plan with you. It is a doctor prescribed plan for me to get pregnant. It is not something I'm going to be on long-term. It's not something that I plan on doing for the rest of my life. It's also made specifically for me. A doctor's Mm -hmm. monitoring my blood. I'm doing blood tests every two weeks. Like, Absolutely. (laughs) I remember, I vividly remember when that happened. I was like very annoyed. I don't blame you. It just, yeah, it was not about losing weight. Yeah. Anyway, so um, yeah, so once I did all of that, uh, then I also started acupuncture. It's my first experience with acupuncture. I love it. It's pretty, I thought it was going to be hella weird because like, I mean, I don't have really an issue with needles, but I was just like, what is this going to feel like? Like, I don't know. Um, but it was great. And I really think that it had a huge impact on me getting pregnant. Um, my, my doctor 
is a huge advocate of it and I think it's wonderful. And I, I went this pregnancy as well. And it's, that was very helpful. And yeah, so all of those things combined, I think it took, it took several months for me to be ready to like try what we call the IUI, which is mm-hmm. intrauterine insemination. So this was like gearing up for all of that. And then finally in October, 2020, uh, I was approved months cycle. So I went in and I was told, May you know, I ask IUI a question? Doesn't... Yes, of course. What do you mean? What do you mean approved for that month cycle? Yeah. So basically that month we're going to try, right? We're going to actually try to get pregnant. We're going to do the, um, the medication to stimulate your follicle to grow. We're going to do the trigger shot and then we're going to inseminate you with your husband's sperm. Okay. Well, yeah. So you had to have all these other things in order before you got approved for that. Right. So I have to do all of this prep work, Mm -hmm. which in the time upset me so much. I was like, can we just try? Like, I'm so annoyed. Like, come on. Like, I'm only getting older. Like, but in retrospect, I'm actually so grateful that they made me go through it because IUI doesn't have like the highest success rate in the world. And it is pretty pricey. So like, they're just trying to give you the best chance to like get pregnant. They're trying to give you the best, best chance. And so when she said we could do it, of course, I'm like, yes, finally. Oh my God. And then it worked on the first try, which like doesn't happen that often, right? And so seriously credit my whole team with that. It's a little bit of luck too. Let's be honest. Like it's not like, you know, a perfect science, but like, I just think that they really did everything to like, give me the best chance to get pregnant. And so like, when it worked on the first try, I was just like, oh my God, like this is amazing. Um, I will say that it's, you know, it's really hard uh, to be excited when you've gone through such a hard journey. Mm -hmm. And one thing I didn't mention was that a year before, so in October of 2019, I did have a chemical pregnancy. Um, so can you explain what a chemical pregnancy is? (laughs) Sure. Just, I, there's so many, yeah. So many phrases that people probably don't know. There's so many terms. So chemical pregnancy is when your body thinks you're pregnant, but there's no fetus developing. So you're going through all the symptoms. You will get a positive pregnancy test, but there's no baby in there. Um, And that can feel really jarring, especially when you're trying because it's like, you're like, oh my gosh, I see a very faint line. I think I'm pregnant. And then for me, it was like two days later, I'm bleeding heavier than I've ever bled in my life. And I'm in so much pain Mm -hmm. and to the point where my husband's like, we need to call the doctor. Like, this is not normal. It's not a normal period. So we went and she kind of confirmed, you know, what what we already knew what was happening was something was wrong. Um, And she said, no, there's nothing. There's no fetus or, you know, I guess at that point, it's not a fetus. It's like egg sac, you know, that kind of thing. There's nothing developing. And so that was just like really disheartening because at that point we still thought we might get pregnant, you know, naturally. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it was, is it, it was just, it was a lot of emotion, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, but literally one year later is when I, we found out that we were pregnant. I came like full circle, um, which was awesome. And, um, that, you know, I, I was super nervous <laughs> throughout the of whole, course. 
um, first trimester, which I think is normal. But then, you know, I, I did start to feel really excited. And I think Oddly enough, it was actually easier to be excited that pregnancy than this pregnancy. That's such weird. I think it's like those first time pregnancy excitement kind of yes, like yes. blocked out the fear. Mm-hmm. And like this time around, it's like there isn't the first time pregnancy excitement. So then like first trimester, I was like all focused on the fear. Um, <laughs> anyway, yeah. so that's how I got pregnant. Um, and that's kind of how we dealt with my personal issues, which... I think the important thing also to reiterate with um, with fertility is that everybody's different. Like, I can't say, you know, hey, Susie, this worked for me. Like, go try right. this. You know, I think that's one of the things people – sometimes people are like, well, you know, I don't want to go to a fertility clinic. Like, what did you do? That kind of thing. And I'm like, you really just need to go talk to someone because I don't – only a doctor can tell you what's going on. And I don't yeah. know if you have the same kind of – and even, you know, if someone has PCOS, doesn't mean they have the same PCOS mm-hmm. they have doesn't mean their levels are the same or they have the same issues. So, you know, being open to that, I think is really important and just being willing to try, you know, different things, I think really helped overall. So <laughs> there were, I don't know if you noticed, I was taking notes. There were a couple of things that you said that I really want to dive a little bit deeper into. Please tell me. One, the first thing you said, I think you might've told Dane on your first date, I'm not sure if I can have kids. Yeah. Was that because you had suspected that you had PCOS or there was infertility in your family? Um, so when I was 25, I had some weird things happen where I had gotten my, I was on birth control at the time and I had, but my period came and then lasted for like a month and which was like really weird because yes. uh, <laughs> you're on the pill, it's supposed to be right. regulated. And then my hair was falling out and like, there was just some weird things that were going on. So I had gone to the doctors then. And if you are not trying to get pregnant, there isn't a lot of like testing and treatment they do for PCOS. And so basically they told me around that time, like, Hey, we suspect you have PCOS. Let's take you off of your birth control and see what happens. So I got off of the birth control and within a few months, my hormones went back to normal. Everything seemed to be settling. My cycle was normal again. And so the doctor said to me at that point, like, you may have trouble getting pregnant in the future. Like you should try to have a baby like now. And I was like, mm, I'm 25 and single. So I'm not in a committed long-term relationship. I'm not married. Like, okay. So I just kind of like filed it away in the back of my mind um that I may have issues in the future as a sidebar I just think it's really crappy that there are other ways that PCOS affected my life besides getting pregnant and nothing was like ever done to deal with that like I did there's so many things like that I didn't know were PCOS related and it wasn't until I started doing fertility treatment that I found out that PCOS affects mental health like most people who have PCOS have anxiety and depression I didn't know, (laughs) right? Uh, Which is crazy because my panic attacks started right around the time this was all going on. And I never had panic attacks as a child or a teenager. Like it was, I was like, I thought I was dying, right? Because I didn't know what the heck they were. It all started at the same time. It's only now that I'm realizing that, right? Like later on, um, I didn't know about the sudden change in in weight. And then again, I don't mean that from, I just mean as a health standpoint, like I had always you know, kind of been a certain size. And then it was like, I'm gaining this weight, but I'm not changing the way I'm eating. And I'm not really sure what's happening. And I'm working out, you know, for fun, I was going to Zumba, I was going to boot camp, and like, 
I don't see any changes. Like what's going on here? Didn't know that was PCOS related, you know, hair growth, things like that. And so it was just like, why can't we help women be healthy, whether or not they're having children in the future? That was, that was very upsetting to me. Um, no one else in my family that I'm aware of has any fertility issues. Um, so as far as I'm aware, like I'm the only person who I know in my family has struggled, but I did have an inkling that it might be hard. I just wasn't really aware of what it would entail. Like it wasn't something at 25 that I was really like delving into, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I also want to take some time to like validate and, and talk about the emotions of all of this, because if I'm tracking correctly with the math, you started trying, you decided that you wanted to get pregnant. Your OB mm -hmm. said, give it six months. So you tried mm -hmm. for six months and then you were told to go through three cycles while you were on that, on that medication. So now we're at nine right. months. And yep. then on top of the nine months, you had many months of all of this hormone testing to get a whole picture of what was going on. So this is over a year from yes. when you tried started trying to get pregnant to finally getting the green light and yeah. i can imagine that's so frustrating and so many other things and i i was wondering if you could be if you feel comfortable being candid about how that impacted your emotions and how that manifested itself within your relationship with dane i think it was really hard you know, it feels like you're failing and you're not, you're not doing anything wrong. It's not your fault. Right. But it feels like you're failing at this thing that happens really easily for other people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I had people in my life who like, they weren't trying and they got pregnant or they were like, Oh, we just started trying and we got pregnant so fast, you know? And, and they didn't necessarily know my struggle when they're sharing this with me, right. but it was like really difficult to hear those things. Cause it felt like there's something wrong with me. Like, why can't I do this? This is like what women have been doing for all the time. Why can't I do mm -hmm. this? Um, I'm glad I was, I, I am in therapy. I, I, you know, I, that's, I've been in therapy consistently my since 2013, but I've gone to therapy various times throughout my whole life. So it helped that I was already in therapy. I was already taking medication for my anxiety, but it still was just a lot. I mean, I would cry all the time um, when people would announce their pregnancies, even people I didn't know, like on social, you know, people used to like follow on social media, like they would announce their pregnancies and I'm like, why is this happening for everybody else? That's what mm -hmm. it felt like. And, and I think for me and Dane, I know infertility can drive some people apart. I do think it, it was hard for him too, but I do think we really leaned on each other and, um, you know, he supported me in just like, not that he left it up to me, but he just, you know, it, it honestly, it's, it's my body, right. That's going through right. all of these things. So he was just very supportive, like whatever you want to do, however many times you want to try. Um, and that really helped not to have like the pressure from him. Right. Um, it wasn't like, you know, you have to do this. It was like, okay, we want to do this. We're going to keep going. Oh. Um, but I think one of the things that's really difficult about infertility is just that like, it takes up so much time and energy of your life. And especially this time with having a toddler and like having to drop her off for care and stuff like that. Uh, fun fact, I actually got pregnant, my IUI 
with my daughter laying on top of me. <laughs> I was inseminated with her. <laughs> Literally. What a beautiful said, story. Ari, give me a hug. We laid down on the table. She gave me a hug and said, you know, mama, I love you. We just like chatted through the whole thing. They inseminated me and I laid there for 15 minutes and just like played little games. And yeah, one day I'll tell her the story of how her brother was conceived (laughs) while she was laying on me. But that's the reason. And I think Dane, my husband's really great. You know, he just, he was very, always very supportive. And we went to therapy together. You know, my, my therapist would have us come on together. And, and so, you know, we, we stayed strong through it. I think it's, it's financially, honestly, like such a big burden for us, you know, especially well, at the time we were both teachers. Now we're not both teachers, but I mean, my salary hasn't increased that much. So it's basically like I'm still a teacher and, um, you know, so it's, it's financially a huge burden for us. So that, that I think has been a stressor, uh, probably the biggest stressor, honestly, I think it has been that, uh, (laughs) what are like it, it's going back to what you said earlier. It's so unfortunate that so many women don't really realize or don't really get access to the information and the knowledge that they need about their own bodies and their ability and their fertility until they're trying to conceive is would are there any ways that you think that young women can advocate for themselves in their ob's office to try to figure out what's going on with their body before trying to get pregnant so that they can be more proactive in that situation i think to be honest, I'm not sure. Like, I'm not sure how many doctors would do anything. Like, it feels like almost you have to like go to a fertility clinic to really like get the answers that you would be seeking. And it's like, no one goes to a fertility clinic unless they're trying to get pregnant. It's like this, this, this weird cycle. So I think like the system kind of needs to change. I don't Mm -hmm. know really what else could be done from like our side as women, but one thing I've noticed is that fertility science has changed a lot over the last 10 years. And it feels like it's getting more, you know, women centered, right? Like patient focused. It feels like the science is there. Um, I talked to women who are older than me. Um, a lot of women who have PCOS were just never able to conceive like the treatments and the, the plan that I went through, like wasn't even a thing that and I'm not saying these, these women aren't even that much older than me, like women in the late forties, like early fifties, you know, yeah. it wasn't made available to them. Yeah. So I think I'm happy to see that things are changing. I think we still have a long way to go. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the most important thing is like maybe to, I didn't really pay that much attention to like fertility accounts, you know, like, like on social media, like I didn't really pay attention to that much before. I was trying to get pregnant and something I've noticed is that there are a lot of fertility doctors who do have like Instagram and TikTok and stuff like that, who post really great information on how to like prepare your body, just like normal things, you know, like, okay, start taking prenatals, you know, Mm -hmm. three, four months before you want to try to conceive and like things like that, or put your partner on like a male supplement. And they post really great information about that, that I, you know, I didn't consider before. And I think like, that could help. I mean, even for people that yep. don't have fertility issues, right? Like it can help them get pregnant faster and have more success. 
So I think that is something that we could do is just be more aware, take the time mm-hmm. to follow those accounts. And, um, you know, we're young, we all, we all get our information from social media. So I feel like yeah. it's, uh, an easy way, like updated and on top of it. Um, and it can kind of help us just be more aware. And then also, if you think something's wrong, like speak up. Like I wish mm-hmm. when I was 25, I had said like, Hey, I want to know more about PCOS. Like, don't just tell me I might have problems in the future. Like what might those problems be? How is this affecting my body? So if you do have something come up, be proactive about it. Don't just wait and say like, okay, well that's, you know, in the future, <laughs> like say something, you know? Yeah. I have two things to say about that. Actually, first with the social media, I think that is a really great and like, I don't know why, why, why so many people don't think about it. It seems obvious when you say it out loud, but if this is the way that the medical system is when it comes to fertility, then that leaves the work up to the individual woman to be their own guru and their own researcher and have to like dig through all this information to learn more about their bodies and learn more about fertility and learn more about how to prime their bodies for that. So that if once they get to that point, if, if they choose to or not, I feel like it's still important information to have. Once they Agreed. get to that point, they've done a lot of that pre-work already. Um, and maybe that'll, I don't know, lessen the amount of time that would be invested if they do have fertility issues. Oh, what were you saying about I think that a lot of women... especially at that age and in the early 20s they're not thinking about having kids or they're like not sure if they want to have kids um but understanding things like pcos or even hearing the term you might have trouble in the future for me that doesn't just signal like i might have trouble getting having babies that also signals like there might be other hormonal issues that I should look into for my overall health right. and well-being. So those should be like bells and whistles that go off in your head when you hear those at the OB, not just for fertility, but for overall female right. well-being. Definitely agree with that 100%. So what are some misconceptions that people have about infertility? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, well, one big uh, misconception is people forget that it can be either person, right? Like there are also lots of male fertility issues that exist. And I know like when I am in acupuncture, that's always a really big thing that we talk about because, you know, a lot of men, I don't include my husband in this because he's pretty progressive. A lot of men can be in denial about yeah. like, oh, well, why do I have to get tested? It's obviously not me. And um yeah. It very well could be, you know, a big part of fertility, I will say the male testing is literally 150 times easier than women. We have to go through 10,000 different invasive procedures and they just have to do their thing in a cup and they're done. And then they get like one blood test. (laughs) (laughs) However, however, uh, you know, our bodies are much more complicated. So that's just something that comes along with the territory. Um, but I think it's important for both people to be tested and be on board with that because you really never know, um, you know, where the issues might lie. 
Um, I think another misconception is that a lot of people don't know what IUI is. I found that mm-hmm. to be really common, um, especially because my fertility clinic is called IVFMD. A lot of people are like, oh, so you, you went through IVF. And I'm like, IVF is something different. Um, mm-hmm. there, there are steps. So I think, you know, like we talked about, I, I first talked to my OB, right? Then I went to a reproductive endocrinologist. And then I went to my fertility clinic. Then we went through testing. Then we tried IUI. Usually most fertility clinics will do three to four IUI cycles before deciding to make the jump to IVF. So usually, like if a good fertility clinic like mine, if they've prepared your body, the mm-hmm. IUI, IUI, the IUI should work within three to four cycles. Generally, that's what they do. I mean, sometimes people go for more, um, but that's like kind of the general consensus. IVF is something that is very expensive and very invasive and um, very, very difficult. And I, my heart goes out to people who are on that journey because just knowing what I went through and knowing that there's now another step that is even more than what I went through uh, is hard to imagine. And um, I follow a lot of people who are on the IVF journey on social media and like my heart just breaks. (laughs) And I just, I, you know, I want to I always reach out to them and try to give them encouragement. So I think that can be a misconception too, that it's like, I can't conceive. And then it's like a beeline to IVF. Like there's so much that happens before IVF um, and uh, or surrogacy or any of those other kind of bigger things. Um, There's a lot of steps, usually a couple years of steps before you get to that point. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think it's important to kind of have a realistic mindset with infertility treatment, knowing that it's different for every person, knowing that there is going to be a journey, um, which is scary. But I also think it can be hopeful because like I mentioned before, you know, it had like the the science of fertility has come so far. And so I hope that it, it does give people hope to know that there there are so many things now that can help us with PCOS used to mean you're not having kids. Now it means, yeah, you have a really good chance of having a kid. You know, we have treatments and we have plans um, that we can put you on. We can help you. You get there. So I think that's kind of something to keep in mind. So in addition to all of the hope that there is now (laughs) and all of the science that's coming up and being developed around fertility, what what, what are some other things that you might say or advise to someone who who reaches out to you and says, hey, I just found out that I might be struggling or am struggling with infertility. What pieces of your wisdom from your experience can you give me? I think um, finding a good team is really important. So like I mentioned, I the first fertility clinic that I reached out to, I didn't feel was right for me. I think sometimes there can be this notion that like, oh, well, they're doctors, they know what's best. And I do believe that most doctors are good, right? But like, not every doctor is right for every person. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think it's important to be, um, you know, willing to try different things. Like, um, if you go to one fertility doctor, and they you don't feel comfortable, and you don't feel like they're giving you the, the answers that you're looking for, or the attention or the I hate to just say vibe, but really the vibe that you expect, um, then don't be afraid to go to someone else. Um, 
to get that second opinion. I also would advocate for like joining online communities um, that really can help, especially if you find one like local to you, because you could talk to people that have experiences that, you know, okay, well, did you go to this doctor, that doctor, that sort of thing. Um, I know I'm older than you, so I still use Facebook, but I use it mostly for communities. Like I'm mentioning, I use it for like, you know, fertility communities, Mm -hmm. parenting communities. When I was exclusively pumping, it was Mm -hmm. like the thing that I would read at 2am that would like keep me going. Um, so I use Facebook for that. And I think that that was really helpful finding people who also were going through my journey and on Instagram as well, like just following my fellow people. So I would say, you know, definitely just don't be afraid to, to seek out, you know, a second opinion. Um, don't be afraid to reach out to people. There's actually a lot of people who are willing to share what they're going through and, um, I mean, you're welcome to DM me, but like, there's so many people out there who would be happy to share their stories with you. And then, you know, just really lean on your partner. I think if you're, if you're going through something like this, it's like, I've seen infertility process like break couples apart and I, that makes me really sad, you know? So Mm -hmm. try to find time. I know it's so hard, but like try to find time to set aside for the two of you um, to do the things we know are are important, right? Like go on date nights and spend some time not talking about. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, I bet that I, that's something I didn't even (laughs) consider. Like that's, that's like the biggest thing happening in your life. That's an all consuming topic. Yes. And not to be like too TMI, but like also try to enjoy like your, your partner Mm -hmm. romantically without Mm -hmm. that being the focus. And I know that that's extremely hard. It's been extremely hard for me, but like the best you can, like try to get out of your head because it's like, if you're going down that path, you have to trust that process that your doctor's putting you on. And of course, Mm -hmm. if the process doesn't work, then you keep going, right? And you go to the next step and you, and you keep going from there, but it's like trying to find those moments, you know, for my husband and I, we did a little staycation, right? We, we went to Cocoa beach and we had a little staycation and we just tried to get out of our, we've been trying this fertility testing forever, whatever. It was like, pandemic summer so we're like we're just gonna go hide out in this little airbnb in cocoa beach and just enjoy each other and, and that really helps you so whatever you can do to kind of oh and i also was really into yoga during the thing which helped a lot oh good uh, it was good for your yeah. mental health or just yeah just... yeah I, I mean yoga helped me a ton with my anxiety but i feel like especially with trying to conceive like you know you focus so much on on your body in a negative way when you're going through mm. infertility. And so yoga kind of helps you focus on it in a more positive way as to like, my body is strong. My body can do this. I feel my breathing. Those deep yoga, my husband laughs every time I do a deep yoga breath, but sometimes I just get in bed and I'm like, and he's oh, like what yeah. are you doing? Those are I good. Deep, I got to do my deep yoga breathing, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. And so I think having that foundation of, of yoga really did, I think, assist me in a lot of that anxiety. Um, you know, my yoga studio closed during the pandemic, like most did, but I still had the foundation. So I did like my little online classes and things like that. And then funny enough, my yoga teacher got pregnant at the same time as me. So then we all did prenatal yoga together on Zoom. <laughs> yeah. 
so once I was pregnant, that was kind of fun too. There was like, I think five or six of us that had been in yoga together that all ended up getting pregnant at the same time, including my really good friend Vanessa. So then we all ended up, and it was oh, wow. wild. We were just all pregnant on Zoom, like doing our yoga in the living room. But it was really good. You know, it helped ease that. And we all could like, we would open up class with just like sharing how we were feeling at that point in pregnancy. And oh, like, that's so healing. It. it was great. And then we would do like, 20 minutes it wasn't like some long intense yoga we do like 20 maybe 30 minutes you know a lot of it was like deep breathing and Mm -hmm. very good poses and then of course we all got into our third trimester and we're like we're exhausted let's just talk (laughs) no no there was no no movement for me well going going back to really quickly how yoga helped with your relationship with your body i think so we're obviously coming at this from two very different experiences i know that you also struggled with disordered eating or an eating disorder that was really prevalent for me i relapsed right before i got pregnant and so the weight gain which was a lot i was a very swollen girly was very hard (laughs) for me so for me going through pregnancy a lot of people say after they give birth, they have this whole new appreciation for their body because their body created a human. And that's dope, obviously. Like that's objectively very cool and magical. But it sounds like you and I might've had a similar situation with our views of our body because for me, being so large and (laughs) swollen, um, I realized all of the things that I could no longer physically do without pain. Mm-hmm. And I realized how hard my body was working to keep me alive, essentially. Like, like how hard my body was working to just pump blood down to these swollen little piggies. And it gave me so much of an appreciation to have more of a relationship with my body because my body is working with me and with you and your yoga. I'm sure it was very difficult to, to feel like your body was on your side. Would you say that's accurate? Yeah. I think dealing with the fertility makes you feel like your body is, is not on your, with infertility that your body is not on your side. I think that, um, I'm going to get into another term I have to define, but I had, polyhydramnios during my pregnancy, which is an excess of amniotic fluid. It causes your belly to be humongous. So I also was a very swollen girly. (laughs) Um, I remember those uh, feet. When I gave birth, I gave birth a month early, 36 weeks, and my uterus was the size of someone 41 weeks. I'm only 5'3", and I have a very short torso. So my belly was just humongous. I mean, and it just felt like it was going to explode at 36 weeks. So one thing I was really proud of was my husband just kept my daughter in there until 30. Right. Like I made it to 36 weeks. Like, holy, so uncomfortable. Right. Um, but I will say, and I, I made a post about this not too long ago, but like I am more confident prior to getting pregnant with my son. I was more confident in my body now than I was 10 years ago when I was much thinner and, mm-hmm. you know, my sister had the, the eating disorder, but I had a just uh, almost like a body dysmorphia issue because okay. I grew up in dance right. and we were my, my high school dance team. We were weighed every Monday. I never made weight. I was always told I was overweight. You know, the girls are in the bathroom doing all the things like I just grew up 
it wasn't a great situation. So for me to come to a moment where like, I feel good in my body, but I'm also like kind of the heaviest I've ever been. <laughs> I've right. got, you know, I've got a C-section scar and I've got uh-huh. stretch marks and I've got jiggly thighs and I've got all this mm-hmm. stuff going on, but like, I'm good. And the funny thing about being pregnant both times is that I've always thought that I was like, I don't really like being pregnant. I feel really beautiful with this belly and I feel really strong and I like rocking like the tighter clothes so people yeah. can see the belly. Yeah. And I think it's like so fun. And so like when I had, when I had the polyhydramnios with my daughter and then people would make just shitty comments like, oh my God, your belly's huge, you know, whatever. You know, are there twins in there? And then. Like even now, first of all, second pregnancies, your belly is popping. Like at 11 <laughs> weeks, I couldn't hide it anymore. It was like, whoop, you're out. Okay, good. <laughs> so then like, of course, again, short torso, shorter person. So it's like my belly's just been popping from the beginning this time. And like people kept making the same comments like, oh, you know, he's going to be really big and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you don't know that. I'm like, I'm 12 weeks pregnant. You have no idea how big this thing is going to be. <laughs> like, just yeah. Anyway. Um, so it's, it's been interesting because I feel really good and I feel really confident and people come in with this commentary and instead of it making me feel bad, it just makes me annoyed now because yeah. I'm just like, I'm good. Annoying. <laughs> so I will literally be like, um, I was like, he's the perfect size. My belly's the perfect yes. size. You know, I just yes. say things like that and it, um, it helps. And I think, like you said, just having a good relationship with your body helps, having a supportive partner helps and not that you need to have a supportive partner to have a good view of your body, but it certainly doesn't hurt when your partner is someone who is attracted to you, no matter you gaining Mm -hmm. 15, 20 pounds or tells you your business can only support your own body positivity that Mm -hmm. you've developed. Um, (laughs) It is. And I think loving my body is really important because like we talked about infertility makes you feel like your body is a failure but having, you know, being to see what my body could do, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yes, my body was struggling here, but look what it did and look what it's uh-huh. doing has been like life-changing. <laughs> so One, that's really cool. I just, sorry to harp on this for so much, for so long, no, but no. I just, I think it's so powerful to have that mindset shift of how can I be in partnership with my body? My body was yes. struggling with infertility. So instead of saying, why is my body failing me? Let's look at it as like another person or as a friend. My body's struggling in this area. What can I do to love and support it more so that we can get to this goal together? I think that that's such a, I wish I would have been able to learn that before pregnancy. I wish you would have been able to have this experience before pregnancy, but this is the way it goes. And it provides so much liberation for us. And especially for you with a daughter. I mean, I know eating disorders happen with men too, of course, but especially with you having your daughter and now having this beautiful view of your body, that's such a wonderful opportunity to ensure that she doesn't have to struggle with the same struggles with her body that you did. Which just as a sidebar, like Mm -hmm. get ready for potty training. If there's anyone listening out there who has any shame about your body or anything, gotta try to get over it before your kid is trying to use the potty because my daughter literally walks up to me when I'm on the toilet and spreads my knees apart because she wants to see 
what's going on. Mom is making pee-pee. I want to see. And my thing is like, well, if I don't show her, who's going to show her? I, right? know, I have to yeah. show her. I have to show her. Um. <laughs> nope. Uh, but, you know, my point is like me having a good, me not having shame about my body, not mm-hmm. having shame about my body functions. Um, those things were really important, right? Because I'm trying to set this good example for her with potty training. And so us to collectively, right? Like as a family, yeah. not having shame around our bodies right. and how they are used and be mm-hmm. called apart by the real names and do things like that. You know, she knows, she says, I have to wipe my vulva. She says that, you know, and that's okay. That's, that's so proud great. of her. <laughs> yes. And she says, you know, poo-poo comes out of my butt. Like she says the words. Um, I think that's so important, you know, and, and um, not to get we don't want to go on this tangent, but not to get on a tangent, but, you know, sexual abuse has run in my family. Yep. And so I think especially, you know, empowering our daughters and our sons, because it can happen to boys as yep. well, yep. Uh, for them to know their bodies, be comfortable in their bodies, know their parts, um, you know, as part of our job as parents. So anyway, <laughs> I just think, no, I think that's it all so comes beautiful. full circle. It comes it's all circle. valuable. So in your circle of friends, when you were going through infertility, what were some of the best things that people said or did for you while you were in the middle of this journey? And therefore, what could our listeners do for their friends in a similar situation? So all my friends got pregnant at the same time as me. Um, But a lot of them was like right before me, like a few months. And mm-hmm. so I think one of the things that was really kind was they were very uh, aware of what I was going through. And so when they told me they were pregnant, they were very cognizant of that, um, telling me like through a text. So I had time to like process it um, was helpful. And then like following up with the phone call, obviously. And I was so excited, right. for that. like so, so excited. But I also just like needed a minute to like process. And then also just like checking in, like, I know it sounds maybe counterintuitive, but like, it was helpful that people cared about like what I was going through, you know, and they would just send me a check, like, how's it going? Like, you know, how are you feeling? You know, is any, you know, not, and not asking like, oh, are you pregnant yet? But just like checking in on like your mental health. Um, you know, we would go out for dinner or something and they would just, you know, kind of be there for me. And you know, I think maybe sometimes the inclination is to not pry, but I don't think it's prying. If it's like a close friend and you're just like, you know, asking like, Hey, do you want to share any updates? Like mm-hmm. what you're doing, those are really the most helpful things. Um, yeah, I think that's just the best thing you can do. I mean, there is, there honestly just like, isn't really like anything else super tangible, but like mm-hmm. it, it makes a difference knowing people care. Okay. And then having that community and just also, I'm sure it was helpful for you to I mean, you're talking to Dane about this all day, all <laughs> night, every day. Yeah. I'm sure it must yeah. be helpful to like get some of these things off of your chest too and maybe give Dane a break or Dane could give you a break. And if you could get that Definitely. off your chest with some of your friends, maybe that'll give you some emotional space to talk about fun things when you guys are together, right? For sure. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. For sure. So you might know if you listen to my podcast. I come up with five random fun questions to ask my guests um, at the end of the episode. So some of these are curated specifically for you. And some of these are like a little bit random. So first, this is not the question, but it's the foundation for the question. Can you tell us about your daughter's name? Yes. 
My daughter's name is Ariadne. She is named after the princess of Crete who helped Theseus escape the Minotaur and then was abandoned by him, but also became like this strong, amazing woman. And she was the kind of the wife of Dionysus, the Mm -hmm. god of wine, and she ends up saving a ton of people and Mm -hmm. she's an awesome character. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Total badass. Um, So with that being said, what were some other names that you considered other than Ariadne? Calliope. Oh, <laughs> that was on my list too. I'm predictable. <laughs> um, <laughs> I actually really liked Ophelia, but Dane said it was sounded like an old lady. And I was like, oh, but I think it's pretty. <laughs> that would have been great with um your cat. Yeah, no, that's from him. That's from Caesar. Like more Shakespeare. Yeah. Um, it's the Shakespeare okay. theme. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what else did we consider? I'm trying to think. Well, I, I liked names like um, Adelaide. I mean, I liked like Persephone and like things like other like your Greek mythological <laughs> names. Um, but I feel like from the beginning, it was like we didn't have a ton of like we had names we threw out there, but I like I was really stuck on like Ariadne and then like we were listening to an audiobook, and then one of the characters' names was Calliope. And so then we started thinking of that, and those were like our top two. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just went from there. But we ended up just kind of waiting until she was born. That's what it is. It's Ariadne. Um, so you're at a small party, and someone breaks out a karaoke machine. What do you do? Absolutely not. Same. <laughs> That's one of my biggest fears. It's no curling. I sing in the car with the volume very loud by myself. Um, I will belt out like anything yeah. Adele, Beyonce, whatever. But like it, that's the only time. Not in front of my husband, like alone in the car. <laughs> I'm in a mood. I will belt it. I'm not a good singer. Uh, I'm in the car by myself. Yeah. Um, I just being serenaded in any way. If there's any any bit of eye contact made with me absolutely not during a karaoke also, session i'm out of there i also think i was slightly traumatized because uh, my college boyfriend of four years was a musician uh-huh. and so every time we would go to like a karaoke like at a bar or something they were all professionals i'm like yeah. i can't sing next to these people oh, so i yeah. think i just like i just know me and karaoke <laughs> are, it's not a thing <laughs> i'm glad we're on the same page yeah um absolutely. okay what is your do you have any current favorite pregnancy cravings or aversions Ooh, um yeah randomly i've been craving taco bell um i have not had taco bell in 20 years i mean that's <laughs> a long ass time and then it was like never again uh but randomly i did get it twice it was like the most nostalgic feeling like the smell of it was like oh my god like it took me back uh so i did i have craved taco bell very randomly um aversions not so much this pregnancy last pregnancy i could not smell chicken or taste chicken it was like get it away from me but this pregnancy i've been all right um dope what's your favorite pizza topping mm, pepperoni oh okay That's a simple girl <laughs> very simple i'm very simple and then uh what is the best part about having a blog oh gosh uh <laughs> well i think I'm a little bit of an oversharer in real life, obviously. Uh I mean, you know that from being my friend. So (laughs) I feel like it gives me an opportunity to overshare that's uh, 
people are grateful for the overshare. Like yes. they want the yeah. overshare. They want the information. They want that. I also think I've had to definitely rein it in. So like fun random fact about me is I used to write an anonymous blog back in the day. This was like 2007 <laughs> to 2010-ish time. Oh, that's a long it time. Was, uh, yeah, it was it was kind of popular, but it was anonymous because I did not hold back the way I hold back now in social media. It was very much about my like dating life and whatever, and like I just spilled everything. Whoa. And um, but it was also a little bit scary because I kept being afraid people were going to somehow find it. Uh-huh. Um, and so then I took a break from blogging, and so when I relaunched my blog, like as my actual self, like I I still you know didn't make it my name, but I still. Um, you know, I use my first name, my face, all of that, especially with social media, like you kind of do. Yeah. Um, so then that became, you know, a step where I have to think about what I share and like curating that, and especially now with having children, even more so. But I still think the best part of blogging is is the oversharing, but in a good way because it leads to community, and mm-hmm. the community is the best part. Um, there are so many times where I will share something, and I'm like, am I alone in this? Like. I don't know. And then people will just like blow up the comments or the DMs. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh my God, I'm not alone. I'm not a crazy person. (laughs) Um, You know, or if I do share things like my infertility journey or something like that, people thank me for sharing and they reach out and they tell their stories. And I think that matters more than anything. It's something that I really enjoy doing because it it does foster that community. So I would say that's the best part, Um, just having that and being able to be authentic um and have people respond well to it i will be honest i was not the popular kid in school i was very socially awkward got bullied a lot um as a kid and i just think like it's kind of cool now to be someone who is able to foster community online of people who are also maybe slightly weird and and we like to understand each other and I'm sure it's so much fun to be able to flex that creativity muscle because you were a journalism teacher. Yeah, I do enjoy I, <laughs> uh, when I could go out and do like a, I mean, photo is like my medium that I express my creativity through. So You're I really miss the days. Yes, exactly. I miss the days where I could plan a photo shoot and take these beautiful pictures. And that mm-hmm. was, um, you know, that was Instagram, right? And it was blogging. It was sharing these photos with a narrative and that yes. sort of thing. And, and yes. it's different now. I do think I've adapted, maybe not as you know successfully as everyone, but I I try really hard. Um, get the first few videos I made, I look back on them now, and I'm like, oh my god! But it was hard for me, you know, to get into that video. Um, oh my gosh, content. So, anyway, tried, <laughs> still trying. It's okay. It's all good. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being with me. Can you tell thank us you all where to find you and follow you and all of your journeys? Yes. So I am most active on Instagram. My Instagram is in literal color. Um, if you are a fellow 90s baby, then it's like a play on in living color. So it's easy mm-hmm. to remember. Um, I am most active on Instagram. So I would say, you know, if you ever want to get in touch with me, you can DM me there. Um, yeah. And my blog is the same name in literal color.com. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yes. Um, I will, this was such a good and like life-giving conversation. I'm really (laughs) glad you took the time to, um, sit down with me.
Thank you so much for joining me this week for this conversation. If you enjoyed this episode or you enjoy the podcast in general, I would love for you to subscribe so you'll never miss out on upcoming episodes featuring other brilliant minds and insightful topics. Also, don't forget to rate and review while you're at it. Your ratings and feedback mean the world to me and help me reach more listeners. So, Misty and loves you. Have the best day ever. Same time next week. Bye.